Today's presentation is going to be an interesting one. It's called My First Implant, and you're going to get a chance to watch me surgically place my first implant. I've restored many implants over the years, but I've never surgically placed an implant. You know, I've heard Gordon Christensen, one of my mentors, say many times over the last 10 years that GPs should be placing implants from 6 to 11 and 22 to 27. And even though I've heard him say this and I've taken numerous implant courses to be able to place implants, I never did surgically place an implant. Why not? I was scared. Maybe the same reason you've never placed one. Why? You know, I was afraid to put one into somebody's maxillary sinus. I was afraid to put one into somebody's mandibular nerve. Why would I want to get involved with that? Let me share with you an x-ray that pretty much sums up why I was afraid to place implants for the last 10 years. And this is the x-ray that kept me from doing uh, implants for at least the last 10 years from surgically placing an implant on my own. And here you see two implants and they look pretty nice and uh, nothing wrong. Crowns look splinted together, good bony support around the implants. Ooh, and as we scan to the mesial, you see some bone loss on the distal of the first of those three implants. And as we continue uh, to sweep over the mesial, ouch, there's the problem. Look at that. We've got an implant screwed right into a tooth. Uh, that is not osseointegration. That is a, a odonto integration. And uh, that's exactly the kind of thing that I was afraid of, whether it was a sinus, whether it was a nerve, whether it was a tooth. I mean, I was literally just afraid uh, to drill a hole into a bone and then put a titanium screw in there. And, you know, I don't know who the dentist was who, who placed this and uh, don't know if it was a specialist or a GP, but you can see when you look at that tooth that the implant is screwed into, how the root, you know, really tilts, really leans to the distal, and how you could look at that if you couldn't see the x-ray and think that you were placing the implant parallel to the long axis of that tooth uh, in front of it because you look at the crown of the tooth and it appears to be you know straight up and down in the mouth yet the root is fairly long as a lot of cuspid roots are and it tilts uh, axial inclination towards the distal and the implant went right into it now but you're going to see with the three-dimensional scan as opposed to a one-dimensional panorex or a one-dimensional pa with the three-dimensional comb beam scan once it's put into the software. Uh, not only do you know the height of the bone, but you know the width of the bone. You have an idea about the density of the bone. You can see where teeth are located and other anatomic structures. And then you can place an implant virtually into that bone and see how much room you have between the implant and the uh, mandibular nerve, for example or maxillary sinus. You can see whether or not you might have to do some grafting. And as you'll see after that in the surgery, it really is straightforward. You've, you've pretty much used technology to get rid of all the variables and then you construct the surgical guide so that the surgery can take place uh, very easily, very rapidly, and predictably as well. So here's what that case looks like clinically. You can see we've got tooth number 19 missing where we're going to place the implant. So we're going to go ahead and uh, get a shade on this. I've used the Vita Easy shade, and it told me that the uh, adjacent tooth was an A4. And so we're putting the A4 shade tab into place, and we're going to take a photograph of this and send it to the technician because really what it's telling me is that A4 is the closest shade, not that it's an absolute perfect match. And now it's time to anesthetize the area. And so I'm placing some of the PFG gel in the back. I'm going to go ahead and give a lower block here just because it's my first implant. Uh, if it was farther down the road, I might feel comfortable enough to uh, just give some local anesthesia in the area, but I want to give a block and you can see I'm using the 
STA device here, and if you've watched any of our clinical presentations, you know I'm a huge fan of this device, uh, but usually I'm using it to do single-tooth anesthesia on a lower molar, for example, so I don't have to give a block. But I love using it to give blocks as well because I can put a second carpule in without removing the needle. You change the carpule back at the unit itself. So once you're down to the hub or the full length of the 27-gauge long needle in this case, you give the first carpule change, put a second one in, and give a second carpule of anesthetic without removing the needle. So it just seems like uh, one shot to the patient, and uh, that's a pretty patient-friendly way to give a lower block if you have to give one. First step here, we've got the surgical guide in place. I'm holding it down with my index finger. This is the start drill. And you can see the picture of the start drill. The part that's blue is responsible for the tissue punch. So we're not going to lay a flap here. Dr. Bockhorst, during the uh, digital treatment plan, knew that I didn't want to lay a flap if I didn't have to, and he felt this case would be fine without it. So a tissue punch. And the tip that just lit up on that start drill is going to countersink into the bone. So the only part of that drill that's going into the bone is that little tip and not the rest of the, uh, the width of this uh, start drill. That's going to be our tissue punch that makes room for the rest of the drills. Once the tissue punch has been advanced to its full depth, it's time to go in with the first drill. This is a two millimeter drill. And you can see the insert that we have that's in my right hand that fits inside of the surgical guide. And it's uh, perfectly fit for the two millimeter drill. Obviously, the hole in the stent itself is bigger than that. So with this insert, it makes sure that there's only one direction that th this drill can go into. The next drill is the 8mm narrow platform drill, and again, you can see I've got another insert in the surgical guide that I'm holding in place uh, as we uh, push our way down with the 8mm drill, and you can see not meeting a lot of resistance. And you can see the vertical stop. I'm pushing down on the handpiece there, and the drill simply will not go any deeper than allowed by the surgical guide. So this allows me to make this osteotomy with a high degree of confidence that I'm nowhere uh, near the nerve based on our digital treatment plan. As I work through the series of drills here, I can take them all to their full depth with confidence that I'm not doing any damage and that the osteotomy that's being created is in the correct anatomical location. So again, you can see pushing the surgical stent down just to make sure that it's uh, down all the way. And you can see the adjacent tooth, the molar showing through there and that it is in fact down all the way. And then I hold it down in place and going in with the 13 millimeter regular platform drill. And again, taking that to its full depth until the burr simply will not go down any farther apically. And then we remove uh, the handpiece and move on to the next drill. And this is pretty much real time. You can see it's only taking, you know, 10, 12, 15 seconds maybe for these drills to go down to their full depth. And again, uh, I have uh, all the confidence in the world that it's going in the right direction in the right place because of the surgical guide. Now it's time to place the implant so we don't need uh, any guides uh, on the inside of the surgical guide itself because this is for the final size drill and the implant itself. And if I just tilt the handpiece here a little bit, there it is, you can see the uh, implant spinning and how slowly that's going in so the speed's been turned down on the handpiece and uh, slowly just letting the implant thread its way into the osteotomy and we're going to stop uh, a couple turns from it being completely seated and we're going to use a torque wrench, a hand wrench to seat uh, the implant the, the final couple turns instead of doing it by the handpiece. And you can see the mount uh, that's still present on the implant itself that of course was attaching it to uh, the handpiece and to the torque wrench itself. So. I'm going to do a couple turns here by hand. The last few turns as I can see the implant 
uh, going down the rest of the way. And as I as the torque wrench starts to feel some resistance, I'll go ahead and take the torque wrench part of the torque wrench. And as you can see, where I'm pushing here, and that is uh, the sign that we do have the implant down all the way once the torque wrench has been uh, tapped out at that measurement. And now we're going to go in with a hand wrench and unscrew the mount that is on top of the implant and uh, just back that out. Again, using two hands just for a little better control as we take the mount off of here. And as soon as the mount comes off, we will be able to take out the surgical guide and uh, see how our implant looks. So here's our first peek with the uh, implant in place and the surgical guide out. And uh, we're gonna go ahead and place the healing screw on top of this. And as my assistant does a little suction, she's also gonna come in with uh, the perio probe and just make sure that the tissue uh, stays clear. We don't wanna pinch any tissue between the screw and the implant itself. And uh, so she's just using that to make sure that it doesn't happen. We take a post-operative radiograph and you can see that uh, the implant looks like it's right where it should be. In fact, if we compare this to the image from the digital treatment plan, now the one on the right obviously, uh, has the healing screw on top of it and the one on the left is just the implant itself But you can see that it ended up where it was supposed to end up right between those two teeth at the proper mesiodistal Angulation and that's the beauty of the surgical guide if I would have had to do this Freehand for my first implant there would have been sweat rolling down my forehead the entire time as I was worried about whether or not this was going in in the right spot at the right angulation so here's the second appointment and you can see that uh, uh, the healing screw is still in place little tissue over the mesial portion of it and we can uh, just take out a diode laser and remove a little bit of that tissue make sure that it's going to be clear uh, for when we go to place our abutment into place and we're going to use the hand wrench to go ahead and unscrew the healing cap and uh, take a look around and see if everything looks uh, as it's supposed to look again using two hands just to help uh, stabilize this and make sure that we don't uh, lose or leave any of the parts behind or uh, lose grasp uh, of the screw or anything like that. So once we take that out, we're going to go in and do a, a quick chlorhexidine rinse just to, as an antibacterial measure and just kind of to clean out any debris that may be uh, around there. Um, shouldn't be anything in there, but uh, just going in and making sure we can get it clean. There's the implant abutment itself being held in by my assistant while I start the screw uh, by hand, just a couple turns to get it in, and then we can put it in the rest of the way with the torque wrench. You can see the flat surface on uh, the implant abutment facing towards me on the buckle, and that just kind of sucks down into place as we uh, put it in there and then uh, make the next turns with the torque wrench. And then as it starts to tighten up again, you can see I'm leaning on the torque wrench arm of the torque wrench. And once we have the abutment torqued down all the way on the implant, we're going to place a little cotton pellet very small one just on on the head of the screw to keep that nice and clean and then we're putting some tempet lc on top of that so this is uh, just a temporary a light cured temporary material from centrix you know kind of like uh, other ones that you might use for say inlays onlays things like that we just want to be able to cover up this access hole and uh, and cure it into place just to make sure we have a good seal here before uh, we try uh, before we cement the crown on and uh, here we are just curing this and then we'll go ahead and try uh, uh, the crown in and make sure that uh, the contacts are good and that the occlusion is uh, light 
if any occlusion, you know, we want to have it on the light side, make sure that the margins look good on this. Um, you know, again, as I drop this into place, it, it pretty much fits as well uh, as any crown that I've put in before, which is, is neat to me because, you know, this was not a typical crown where we had a impression of a preparation. This was basically done, you know, digitally with the uh, implant abutment uh, being fabricated and the crown being fabricated all at the same time out of the mouth. We've got some nice spots on the adjacent teeth uh, and very light occlusion on, on the crown. Uh, maybe just a spot there. So we're ready to go. And we're just going to put a thin layer of Reliax looting cement, our typical crown and bridge cement, you know, around the gingival third. You know, keep in mind that unlike a regular crown where you have maybe three or four coats of die spacer or even two coats of die spacer on the prep itself on the model, we don't have that here. And so there's not as much room for cement. You don't need as much cement. Uh, basically just coating the gingival third of it because we have such good mechanical retention. Here we are cleaning off the excess cement. This is really important. It's important on all teeth, but on an implant crown, you got to get all that cement off. You can't have a low-grade infection or around the implant. That's a great way to lose the implant. So even though you should take uh, real good care of cleaning up cement around any crown, it's especially critical around an implant crown. And you can see the crown blends in pretty darn nicely. Uh, it's a great result for this patient, especially if you stop and think as you look at these before and afters. You know, 20 years ago when I got out of dental school, the only solution here was, well, there was a couple, none of them really good. There was a partial denture, maybe a Nesbit, you know, just a tiny one on that side. There was do nothing, I guess was an option. The most common one would have been a three-unit bridge, and both of those teeth would have been prepped next to it for full crowns to put a fixed bridge in. And the placement uh, of an implant like this with a single unit crown on it is a very elegant solution to this problem. So I think you can see by using the high technology available in dentistry today and uh, including the surgical guide, how easy it was for me to get a great result for me and the patient on my first implant. How difficult did that look? In reality, that was not all that difficult to surgically place my first implant. In fact, I'd say the average crown preparation is more difficult than what you just saw right there. Of course, that's because of all the high-tech solutions that we have in dentistry today that allowed us to have a surgical guide that was precise enough so the drills and the implant ended up in the right position. If like me, you've been afraid for the last 10 or 15 years to surgically place an implant, take another look at it with this digital treatment planning. You may find out that you're more ready than you think. On behalf of all of us here at the laboratory, I want to thank you for your time and your continued commitment to quality dentistry.